The stories featured in Greeking Out are original adaptations of classic Greek myths. This week's story features gods threatened by greatness, the concept of legacy, having children, marriage without love, and young people making big decisions. Greeking Out, the greatest stories in history, were told in Greek mythology. Greeking Out, gods and heroes, amazing feats, listen and you'll see it's Hey, Oracle, remember that wedding we mentioned back in episode one of this season? I am the Oracle of Wi-Fi. I remember everything. Good point. Well, this is the story of the bride and groom at that wedding. Otherwise known as Thetis and Peleus. Exactly. The bride, Thetis, was a sea nymph, a goddess of the water. Thetis was known for many things. Her passion, her intelligence, her loyalty to those she loved. She was also known for her mesmerizing beauty. In fact, she was without a doubt one of the most stunning sea nymphs to ever swim in the ocean. She even caught the eye of two of the most powerful gods, Zeus and Poseidon. Poseidon was the god of the sea, earthquakes, and horses. He was often depicted in art with a trident, and a tuna. Wait, like a tuna sandwich? No, I am referring here to the animal tuna. It is a fish. Ah, okay, right. So he had a fish and a pointy stick. Got it. Anyway, sounds like they were both pretty powerful gods, and I think it's safe to say that both of them were used to getting what they wanted. They weren't exactly thrilled when they realized that they would have to compete with each other for Thetis's affection. Poseidon, what are you doing here? Why are you trying to talk to Thetis? She's mine. But I saw her first. Zeus and Poseidon were brothers, along with Hades, the god of the underworld. You might remember how they decided to divide their kingdoms in the story about the Olympians and the Titans. Yes, and they definitely fought like siblings. But while the two brothers were arguing over who called dibs on Thetis first, a prophecy was revealed. The sea nymph Thetis will bear a son. He will grow up to become a great warrior, one who is even greater than his father. He will forever be known for his glory. Now, for the gods like Zeus and Poseidon, having a son who would grow up to surpass them in glory was pretty much a worst-case scenario situation. They both decided Thetis was much too dangerous to be around. On second thought, you can have her after all. Now, come on, Zeus. You really think anyone would be more powerful than you? Go ahead. What are you, chicken? But the more the two thought about it, the more it became clear that a union with Thetis would be downright reckless. If Thetis married a god, her son would grow up to be immortal. And a powerful, immortal god could be dangerous for everybody. Like overthrowing the whole system dangerous. Eh? After all, that's how the Olympians got into power in the first place, right? It's simple. Thetis cannot marry a god, Zeus said to Poseidon. It could cause too much trouble. She has to marry a mortal instead. That way, we know his reign and his power will be limited. So Zeus and Poseidon encouraged mortals from all across the land to marry Thetis. It wasn't a hard sell. Thetis was a beautiful sea nymph, after all, but she could be a little... difficult. You see, Thetis did not have any interest in getting married. 
especially to a mere mortal. She made it very difficult for her suitors to approach her. Thetis was a shapeshifter. She could transform into various shapes and forms, including animals and fire. Right, which I guess could make it hard for a guy to have a conversation with her. If I was Thetis, I would have transformed into a snake. You know what, Oracle? I don't think anyone is surprised by that information, but there was one man who wasn't discouraged by Thetis and her transformation skills. His name was Peleus, and he was the king of Phthia. Phthia is a district of Thessaly, an area located in what is now northern Greece. But unlike Zeus and Poseidon, Peleus wasn't at all concerned about the prospect of his future son transcending him in strength and power. In fact, he relished the idea of having such an amazing legacy. Mortals are usually more concerned with the idea of leaving behind a legacy. This concept is not applicable to gods. Oh yeah, because of the whole immortal thing. Precisely. Gods will live forever. There is no need to make sure they are remembered. I suppose that's true. It's kind of something that makes us human, the need to leave behind a legacy, right? And it might be why Peleus was so stoked about the idea of having a famous, powerful son. If his son would always be remembered, then so would he. This proved to be a correct assumption, considering we are still discussing him to this day. That we are. But anyway, Peleus still had to get Thetis to marry him, and it wasn't going to be easy. He tried to approach Thetis and have a conversation, but she always ran away or shapeshifted before he even got a chance. Peleus was at the end of his rope. He had to find a way to talk to Thetis. So one night, he waited in a cave by the sea that Thetis was known to sleep in. When she finally drifted off, Peleus took hold of her and held on tight. Of course, she woke up immediately, and she was very angry. How dare you capture me? You are just a mortal! She said, furious. And of course, she tried to get away. First, she turned into a bird so she could fly far away from Peleus, but he held her tight. Then, she became a roaring lion, which was definitely scary, but Peleus was determined, and he hung on. Thetis then turned into fire and burned Peleus' hands, but he refused to give up. Finally, she turned into water to try and slip through his fingers, but somehow, he still managed to keep a hold of her. At last, she gave up and agreed that Peleus, at least, was very strong and very determined. So she decided she would marry him. I just want to point out that holding on to someone until they agree to marry you is not only potentially illegal, but it's also a very bad way to find a life partner. You are definitely right, Oracle. And maybe what finally convinced Thetis was that Peleus wasn't afraid of her. I mean, even the other gods were afraid of her, or at least of having children with her, and that's something that Thetis really wanted, to have a child. Thetis also knew that Zeus was trying to get her married off, and if she didn't choose a husband, she would constantly be running and hiding from suitors. She wanted to live in peace, so maybe Peleus was her best option. I will marry you. Only if you consider our marriage to be more of a business arrangement. I do not love you, and never will. And I want to be able to come to the sea whenever I please. Peleus agreed, 
and the two were married within the week. This is the wedding where Paris ultimately chooses Aphrodite to win the apple and the title of the most beautiful goddess. Correct. They certainly had a memorable wedding. And at least for a while, the two had a relatively pleasant marriage, a business arrangement. Thetis got to enjoy the sea, and Peleus was pleased knowing he was married to a beautiful sea nymph that so many men pined after. And before long, they had a child together, a boy named Achilles. The name Achilles is derived from the Greek word akos, which means pain. Well, that's ominous, and maybe even a little bit of foreshadowing, but nonetheless, Achilles was a delightful baby. His parents adored him, especially Thetis. Her maternal love for him was fierce and all-consuming. She adored everything about him. There was just one problem. He wasn't immortal. Of course, Thetis had known this was going to be the case, considering he had a mortal father, but she didn't expect just how protective she would feel for her child. She felt physically ill when she thought of anything bad happening to him. She decided she would do whatever it took to make him immortal. It was her duty as a mother. So one night, Thetis carried a sleeping Achilles and made the grave and dangerous journey to the river Styx. Longtime listeners will recognize the River Styx as one of the rivers of the underworld. The River Styx serves as one of the dividers that separates the world of the living from the world of the dead. Yes, and it also happens to have immortality powers. People who swim in the waters of the Styx are said to become immortal, which is exactly what Thetis was after. Of course, being a baby, Achilles couldn't swim, so Thetis had to hold him by the heel of his foot and dip him into the river. She managed to get his entire body submerged for just a second when she was suddenly interrupted. Thetis, stop! It was Peleus coming to protect his son. What are you doing? You're dipping our child in that cursed river. We need to leave right now. This place is dangerous. I am trying to protect him. He needs to be immortal like me. I cannot live knowing that he is unsafe, Thetis cried. But it was too late. Peleus had already grabbed Achilles and was heading back to safety. Thetis stared longingly after Achilles as he was being carried away. He was still wet from the water. He had been submerged from head to toe. There was only one small part of him that Thetis hadn't been able to get wet. His heel. This is where the phrase Achilles heel comes from. It refers to a weak spot in an overall strong person. Exactly. Achilles was more or less invulnerable, and Thetis felt confident that her plan to protect her son had worked. Yes, he had that one teeny tiny weak spot, but he was perfectly safe as long as his heel wasn't injured. I mean, how often do you injure your heel? Heel injuries are actually quite common. In fact, more than 2 million Americans experience heel pain every year, including heel spurs, plantar fasciitis, and the aptly named Achilles tendonitis. Okay, all right, fine. I guess there was some reason to worry. I'm just saying they're much rarer than, say, a toe injury or something. I mean, have you ever stubbed your toe? Talk about pain. I do not have toes. Oh, yeah. Or heels. Or feet. 
or limbs of any kind. Okay, uh, what about a commercial? This, you think we should take, yeah, let's take a break, uh, regroup, and we'll be back in just a couple of seconds. Okay, thanks for that. And now we're back with more Greeking Out. Instead of going back home with Peleus and Achilles, Thetis took to the sea. She was done living a life on land, and she was done with Peleus. He had never understood her. But Thetis never stopped watching or protecting Achilles. She kept a close eye on her son and felt that he was safe because of the protection he got from the river Styx. She would visit him from time to time, but most of the parenting decisions were left up to Peleus. And one of those decisions was to send Achilles to live and train with Chiron, a wise centaur who would teach Achilles how to grow up to be a strong hero. While centaurs are typically known for their violence and brutality, Chiron was regarded as a wise leader and talented healer. You might remember him from our very first episode about Jason. Chiron raised Achilles from a young age and taught him everything there was to know about being a warrior. But it wasn't all sword fighting and spear throwing. Chiron taught Achilles how to be a leader, how to make methodical decisions, how to listen to his heart and natural instincts. He also learned practical skills like hunting and fishing and music. And Achilles? Well, he was a natural at just about everything. He excelled at anything he attempted. I have trained many heroes, Chiron reported back to Peleus. But there was none as strong or as smart as Achilles. He will become a great warrior. Possibly the greatest warrior this world has ever seen. When Achilles came back to his father's kingdom of Phthia at age 18, he had already earned a reputation for being an incredible warrior. Everyone in Greece was starting to hear about Achilles, the prince of Phthia. But hero or no hero, Achilles was also just a young man. He liked to laugh and goof around. But because his reputation was so intimidating, many people avoided Achilles entirely. He did have one close friend, though, a refugee named Patroclus. A refugee is a person who is forced to leave their own country in order to escape war violence, or natural disasters. Achilles and Patroclus immediately developed a fast friendship. They loved to explore the kingdom of Phthia together. Patroclus was able to bring some levity and joy to Achilles' serious life that was usually filled with war history classes and training lessons. And Achilles was one of the few people who actually wondered about Patroclus and didn't immediately dismiss him as a person without power. But something bothered Patroclus. He knew that his friend was an amazing warrior, and it wouldn't be long before he was called to fight in some war. Patroclus was also a trained warrior, like all men of his age, but he hadn't been marked out for greatness as a child. He hadn't been trained by Chiron himself. When you go to fight, I will be left behind, Patroclus said. So come with me, Achilles countered. They won't want me. I'm not the great Achilles, said Patroclus. You are going to be great. And I couldn't fight without you by my side, said Achilles. We'll fight in glorious battles together and go on tons more adventures. If they ask me to fight and don't want you to come, then I won't go either. And so it was settled. Patroclus would accompany Achilles wherever he was called to fight. And it wasn't long before that call came. 
One night at dinner, Peleus told Achilles he was needed for war. Helen, the queen of Sparta, has been abducted by Paris, the prince of Troy, he told him over dinner. Her husband Menelaus and his brother Agamemnon are gathering forces and want to travel to Troy to get her back. You have been asked to fight. In the last episode, all the suitors were sworn to defend Helen and her husband. Now, Menelaus and Agamemnon have reminded everyone of the promise. Yes, and as a result, a huge army was forming across Greece. But Achilles was not a suitor of Helen's. He hadn't sworn any oath. Why should I care about this war? Achilles asked his father. I don't even know Helen. This is going to be the greatest war the world has ever seen, and you are the world's greatest warrior. You belong on that battlefield. Achilles didn't say anything. He wasn't afraid to go, but he also wasn't thrilled about sailing across the world to follow someone he didn't even know. Maybe Helen had wanted to go. Maybe she, like his own mother, hadn't been happy in her marriage. Maybe he'd rather hang out with Patroclus and have more adventures here. After talking with his father, Achilles decided to take a walk down by the water. There, in the darkness, sitting on a rock, was his mother, Thetis. Thetis had often visited Achilles throughout his childhood, but it was always alarming when she chose to reveal herself. She could be very intimidating. She was a goddess, after all. A minor water goddess, but still a goddess. There is no way you are fighting in this war, she told him. I forbid you to go. He hadn't even explained what was on his mind. She'd already known. Achilles was surprised. His mother sounded almost afraid. He had never heard her sound like that before. Why do you worry? I have no real desire to fight in this war, but I have no doubt that I will come out successful, he countered. But Thetis had heard a prophecy about Achilles. It was foretold that should Achilles go to Troy, he would be remembered as the world's greatest warrior. But he would not return. On the other hand, if he did not go to Troy, he would live a long life but ultimately cease to be remembered, just like most mortals are. Thetis didn't care about glory. The only thing that mattered to Thetis was that her son live a long and healthy life. So to her, the answer was simple. He would not go to Troy. Do not argue with me, she said to her son. I am your mother, and I know what's best. You are not fighting in that war. And then, without any further conversation, Thetis gently knocked Achilles unconscious. She would keep him safe if it was the last thing she did. After all, he couldn't fight if he couldn't be found. And Thetis just happened to know the perfect hiding place. The lingering pause leads me to assume that this is the end of the episode. Uh, yeah? But why does it end so abruptly? Nothing is resolved. Yeah, it's called a cliffhanger, Oracle. You know, it's a literary device to keep the listeners engaged. I do not like to leave things unresolved. Yeah, but you already know what happens. You're the Oracle. You are all-knowing. That is irrelevant. I do not like open endings, nor do I appreciate unnecessary suspense. Well, we're talking about the Trojan War here, Oracle. There's just too much to fit into one episode. We're going to have to keep things open-ended from week to week. But I do not like having to wait. Well, you know what they say. Patience is a virtue. Breaking out. Thanks for listening. 
Now that you've met Paris, Helen, and Achilles, we're going to take a pause for some field trips. Then, back to the story of the Trojan War. Listen and you'll see it's National Geographic Kids Greeking Out is written by Kenny Curtis and Jillian Hughes and hosted by Kenny Curtis with Tori Kerr as the Oracle of Wi-Fi, audio production and sound design by Scotty Beam, and our theme song was composed by Perry Grip. Dr. Lillian Doherty is our subject matter expert and Emily Everhart is our producer.